Kiara, Nihao, and hello. Welcome to the Chewy Journal podcast. I'm your host Camille Yang. My guest today is Bianca Carona. Bianca is a writer, storyteller, podcast host, and sustainability advocate. Bianca and I had such a serendipitous encounter in Portugal, and we immediately clicked on because we shared similar backgrounds and spiritual growth journeys. So in this episode, we discussed how to be a sustainable traveler, write books, and our journey to find out who we are not in order to know who we really are. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, first of all, it's so nice to see you. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I'm still feel very like surreal because I, I never expect to meet someone in real life in Aveiro because <laughs> that place I've never heard about. So, shall we start with、uh, why you end up in Aveiro? It's so true, right? I mean, I had never even heard of Aveiro until I decided one day to head up north to Porto. So. I guess yeah. The bit of the backstory is that I、um, was invited on a press trip to a beautiful、uh, co-working, co-living house in、uh, San Miguel in the Azores.、Uh, the name of it, I have to pronounce this correctly, Quinta do Bom Despacho. So I was invited there due to my work with、uh, around sustainable tourism, but also in the nomad community. And so the woman who runs this big mansion—it's a—it's a family home. It has about thirteen rooms, and she had transformed it into an eco lodge、uh, in the the high season. And then in the low season, she saw this opportunity to. Really tap into the remote work community, which is growing immensely, and slowly seeing all these places popping up around co living. And so, I was in Europe, and I thought I, I got invited, and and I thought, why not? I'll I'll give it a try, and I'll go there. So that's what took me to Portugal. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous place, really serene.、Uh, and spent three weeks there, and then went back to Lisbon, and. Just really wanted to go to Porto. Just felt drawn to go to Porto, and、uh, as one of the ways that I keep my travels sustainable is I do pet sitting through a an app called Trusted House Sitters, where the exchange is that a traveler can or a person、uh, can go on the application and search through other people who. Would like、uh, somebody to look after their pets while they're on holidays, and so that has really kept my travel so sustainable. I think that for a couple of months there, I was doing、uh, pet sitting ongoing, and I didn't actually pay for any accommodation.、Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so it really helped me in that sense, and it's very popular in the US. It's very popular in the UK. In Australia, which is where I started doing it,、uh, not so much in Europe, but occasionally things pop up, and so I just wherever I go, I just casually open the app, and I have some notifications set up as well, and I just check to see if there was anything in Portugal,、mm-hmm. and then here comes this place <laughs> Cordeiro, 
And I'm looking on the map thinking, where is this? <laughs> and then I realized that it was on the way to Porto. And so I applied for the house sit and it was uh, a very warm young woman who was teaching, I think, there at the school. And she was taking a short trip. Uh, and then I went to look after a cat. Cool. And thought, I don't know anyone in this city. And so jumped on Nomad List. And lo and behold, you were holding an, a music festival. Yeah. <laughs> When I was in Madeira, there was a girl introduced me to use Walk Away, which is you can contribute your skills and uh, the host will provide you with a free accommodation or sometimes pays you for your for your work. So that's how I end up in Abrero, then doing the music festival. I love how we shared that in common around our little strategies of moving through this world without having to spend huge amounts of money on the places that we go. True, yeah. Because when I was in Madeira, I was thinking, okay, I'll move to Lisbon. And I'll start a new life there. Then the girl just mentioned, okay, you should try the work away to just keep your option open. And I said, okay, I'll surrender to what universe will arrange for me. Then I had such a wonderful experience in Abiru. So I'm very curious to know, are you also like that, like very open to options, not control your life anymore? I am. And, you know, when you just use that word surrender, that's been such an important word in the past few years, not a few years, I suppose, almost, yeah, seven years, I guess, now of my life. I try to, and the more that I come into alignment, the more that I just have this immense level of trust Uh, I just want to sort of go back a bit and talk about the differentiation between this idea of stepping forward in life with immense trust and surrender versus, Mm. you know, having complete plans of the way this should be and the way that should be. One of the biggest transitions I had to make on a mental level, a soul level from leaving my nine to five life back in Sydney was just this idea of setting things up for myself in in a very far future. You know, when we're, especially in Western societies, there's this huge focus on, okay, so when you're in school, then you're going to go to university. And when you go to university, then you'll get a job. And when you get a job, then you, you will save for your retirement. And all of a sudden, you're starting, to, your mind is all of a sudden from, a 25-year-old or, or even younger to a 60-year-old. Yeah, true. <laughs> and then when you start to really just change your perspective around that, there is a lot of unlearning to do to really just come back into this present and say, well, what about if if I don't do that? What about if I just be present in the moment and have this trust that things will work out for me and that and and all of a sudden you allow the space over the coming days or the coming months to fill with things because you hadn't already planned those things out and especially later in my life especially the last few years I've you know each time new year comes along I really try and look at my life like a blank canvas and allow opportunities to come to me and 
in my own personal experience, that allowing and opening up of my life without filling it with all these things that I feel like I have to do has just planted this, these beautiful opportunities and moments in front of me. And I just constantly bring myself back to really understanding where is the balance between planning too much or surrendering. Yeah, I say it because I used to be a control freak. I need to plan my day, like what time I need to do what. And uh, I feel like everything is under control. So if there's something goes wrong, I will be very panicked or stressful. But I learned a hard lesson during the past years to say, oh my God, actually life didn't uh, go with your plan. There's so many random things pop up. And sometimes if I try so hard to control I will get hurt or my body will remind me, oh my God, you're so stressful now. And even got sick, got a panic attack. Like what's your wake up call? Because you also follow the traditional path, working at corporate first. What wake you up and want to not control anymore? It, it, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, you mentioned panic attacks. I think it was just this, I did leave corporate, uh, around seven years ago and and look I do have a lot of gratitude for that part in my life it taught me a lot of life lessons but I think most of which it taught me who I'm not so I I like to use the analogy of that you know I look at my soul sometimes as if it's like a river and where that river flows freely is where I feel at peace and I feel happy and I feel content whereas if there is an obstruction in that river, the pressure starts to build up, then I feel that there is something wrong. And and I think that's what happened when I was in corporate, had reached this career that I had worked so hard to achieve for such of my life, for such a long part of my life, and then started to feel just my mental health was at its worst it's ever been. I was actually having a lot of anxiety, a lot of feeling so uneasy. And I really had to sit with myself and, and understand, well, why am I feeling this way? And then again, that goes into the all of a sudden just ridding yourself of all these expectations of what you felt that you needed to become and sitting and saying, okay, I am unhappy right now. This is not what is right for me. But then also honoring that and saying, okay, I'm going to change my path. And so that honoring, I guess, of myself in that point, it it was really difficult because all of a sudden then you're really letting go of part of this identity that you've spent the most part of your life creating. Um, So that was probably the, the turning point for me. And then since then, it had really been this journey of getting to know myself again and I guess allowing myself to step into this person who I feel that I am intrinsically uh, and what I want to be in the world, which is also constantly changing and evolving. But going back to what I was saying about what corporate taught me and what that part of my life taught me, was that it taught me who I'm not. And when and we really can only know who we are until we 
when we know who we are not. Yeah, let go is、uh, very important because before I was、uh, attached to my identity, like I'm a highly paid, smart lady working in corporate. So it's it's pretty hard to let go that、uh, identity, especially societies and your friends, your colleague will say, "Oh, okay, now Camelia doesn't have a real job, doesn't have a stable income." So is you are not the person they they knew anymore. So it's very scary. I wonder how did you overcome this fear of get rid of your old identity? Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, and there is a lot of fear that comes up there. I think, and I've actually, it's beautiful to have this conversation with you because, well, I just want to go back a bit and say, when you, so the day that you invited me on the podcast. I was on Twitter and I saw one of your tweets, and I was thinking, "Man, this girl inspires me so much." <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just thought of that the exact day. I think, think I know. And then I fell asleep that night, woke up the next morning, and I see a message from you, and you're like, "Hey, I just listened to your meditation track."、Um, I would love for you to come on the podcast. And I was just like, "Oh my goodness!" This is, I just felt so. Grateful in that moment that somebody who I mean we only just met once, but one of the things that really、um, stood out to me when we met was just how deep we got in our conversation and how you told me about the book that you were writing.、Mm. And since then, I've actually started to write my own book. Oh, that's great! And you know, I think I don't know. Maybe it was you who really planted that seed in my mind, but. A lot of the book is about unbecoming and releasing this fear and and identity, and, and it's about my journey over the past seven years.、Um, mm. A lot of which we'll talk about today. But the fear, I think, what I what I did was that I assumed that the people around me wouldn't understand me, so I subconsciously.、Mm. Hid these parts of myself away, and ultimately kept myself small. What happened then was that the people around me weren't really able to see this new version of myself because I didn't allow them to see it. And then, in a way, they didn't really understand who I, who I was, and who I wanted to become. And. Once I shifted that, once I really, I think I had a lot of realizations around. Well, if I'm going to be this person and and this is who I really am, then I kind of need to show up in the world as this. I would show up as this in places that I felt were safe,、uh, so smaller communities with close friends in very deep relationships. I would show up as this version of myself, but then I would still hide those parts of myself away. And it wasn't really until I I found to sort of Really step into the world as this, and kind of embody all these things that I cared about so much that other people could see that those were the things that ultimately made me happy, and then they kind of understood. Yeah, I also went through this、um, period. I was just hiding myself. I think I was born as a very spiritual person, and I started reading philosophy and Buddhism. Dowie's books. I was very young. Like nobody forced me to read it. I just found it, <laughs> then read. But、um, you know, as you mentioned, when you follow the conventional, the traditional path, you go to school, university, and get a good job. 
And if you are too spiritual, people would、uh, like judge you. I was very scared, just hiding all this spiritual part of me away from people. I think this also caused my pain in when I was working for corporate. Yeah, I also、uh, appreciate the time and the lesson I learned while I was there, but that's not、uh, not being very true to myself. So I very resonate with、uh, yeah your saying. I think as well, you know, there is that fear of judgment, and we、mm-hmm. we can be different in so many ways, can't we? I mean, we can have pink hair, <laughs> or we can, you know, decide that we would like to, what gender we would like to be. But sometimes the differences can be so subtle, as in what we believe in and our spirituality. And so, do you feel that it was sort of a You know, a fear of judgment, of standing out. Has it been something that you've reflected on as well? Yeah, I think the most difficult part is lack of understanding from people. I think we we all social animals, so we need a sense of belonging to a community. But when I talk about my spirituality to to the people I work in the bank, it's <laughs> Nobody understand. So I start to write online. Then I kind of gather some like-minded people who also interested in this area. So I feel like okay, maybe I should change my environment because if people judge me about who I truly am, maybe this environment is not suitable for me. I need to jump out of this and pursue the place where I belong to. So I feel like writing helps me a lot, and also being a digital nomad, like the people I met on on the way, also we we kind of share the sense of belonging. Yeah, I I agree with that. I feel that you know I definitely there are times in my life where I've felt a lot more seen in places like the digital nomad community, and you know I do feel that. We are able to be seen in the places where we're different, but it again there is this human unlearning that is happening around judgment and othering, you know, and this、mm. divide that we、uh, cognitively create between one another, which I believe is ultimately based on fear of the unknown, fear of not understanding. And so, until we, as a collective, can really just kind of rise up and and move past this judgment of others, then I feel that there will be so many more places where people can just feel safe and feel seen. Yeah, true. So, what what do you do now? I know you are a travel blogger. You run a consulting company.、Uh, would you mind giving? My listeners, a brief introduction about what do you do now. Honestly, even some of my best friends are like, "What do you do again, Bianca?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, I'm such a a responder, so I like to try lots of different things, and you know, I, life is like a buffet for me. I try something and see if I like it, and then if I don't, I'll just. Decide that okay, we'll try something else.、Um, but for the most part, so I am a travel blogger. Well, the altruistic traveler has really been my outlet for creativity and my alias over the past seven years 
it started out as really just a curiosity on the intersection of travel and sustainability. And I started it when I left uh, my nine to five and I, I went and traveled around the world for a one year and worked with a lot of uh, remote, uh, not so much remote, but communities on the ground and grassroots organizations just to talk more about how travel can have a positive impact on in a social and environmental way and that I did that for about one year full time and then I went back to Sydney and I uh, continued on with my career which was more around marketing and project management after about less than a year I think I started to get uh, itchy feet again and wanted to get back out there and so I've been doing this dance between my old identity and my new identity for quite some years. And this comes up in the book as well around, and it also quite relevant because we were talking about how difficult it can be to really let go of that identity sometimes. And, you know, for me, it's taken years and years and it's still something that I I do every day. So I started working uh, for another company full time and then realized that I actually still wanted to be back out there and experiencing cultures and writing and growing as an individual. And I found that a lot of my growth happened while I was traveling and while I, when I put myself um, out of my comfort zone. So I spent three months in Nepal working uh, only part-time, two days a week. And the rest of the time I would work on my blog and uh, work with a women's development organization there. And then I really decided that the remote, uh, the location independent life was something that was for me. I didn't see myself going back and spending uh, time in the same place indefinitely. So I just changed my life so that I would work two to three days a week doing the uh, marketing and uh, consulting. And the rest of the time, I would just, as you said, coming to this state of presence and feel what is going to be next. And I was only really able to do that by shifting the way that I traveled, as we were talking about earlier, using applications like trusted house sitters, things like WorkAway. I feel personally that it is a lot more affordable to live as a digital nomad than it is to live in Sydney but I do come from an expensive city Mm -hmm. and then so yeah last year I endeavored to found a startup and I was still very much in my business mind last year it was the pandemic so I did go back to Australia got kind of caught up in that fast-paced energy of Sydney and I learned a lot about the founder journey but Towards the end of that year, I really started to exhibit a lot of those same feelings that I felt when I was in corporate. This just, you know, my river wasn't flowing. There was an obstruction in my river and I really had to sit with myself. And that was when I realized that I still had this journey to go on um, in, in this journey into self. And also, and I knew that that happened uh when I was traveling and so that was when I made the decision to leave Australia leave that life behind uh it was quite difficult again because I I left a relationship uh, I left this whole idea of being in Sydney and Sydney being you know my home but it just 
felt right and I had to tap into that feeling I had to tap into that soul message and sometimes in life we just have to make these kind of a sacrifices to to grow we're all constantly growing and our growth journey is very different um but I had that that message and so I listened to it and and then ever since then I've been working uh so I have that balance I work a couple of days a week for the uh, company that I work for in Australia it's just such a a great company we're a small agency and uh, my manager is very open to this idea of work-life balance and location independence which I'm very grateful Mm. for and then this year I've spent most of my spare time working on the book going on this inner journey really tapping into spirituality this year can you give me some more details about your book like well it's a how, how much percentage is finished and what's a topic, your specific topics you are focusing on? Oh, yeah. So I, I just hit the 20,000 word mark the other day. Oh, wow, great. <laughs> I mean, I, I Googled like how many words in a book? And so it <laughs> ranges from like, I think 60,000 to 80,000 or 100. I wrote how many words in Eat, Pray, Love? <laughs> oh, how, how many words? <laughs> I think a hu- over a hundred thousand. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. So I don't know if I'll reach Elizabeth Gilbert standards, but um, I think it'll be three parts. So the first part is really about this um unbecoming of sorts, as we were talking about in in the interview, and really releasing this this concept of identity. And the second part is a a lot around my first travel. So it's set in twenty fifteen and. I really sort of wanted it to be an amalgamation of all, not everything in my blog, but, you know, a lot of the stories that are there. And and then the last part, I don't know, maybe just a journey into self. We'll see, we'll see, because I'm still, I don't even have a title for the book yet, but I just felt this message to really get it out there. You know, you know yourself as a content creator, words are our outlet words are our expression and I had seven years of words on this blog and in different places and <laughs> in journals and here and there and everywhere and I, I felt I owed it to my my words to myself to put this into a book because you know the altruistic traveler I don't, I don't think that that's going to be me forever again we go through cycles I think that you know, we can have in our lifetime, we sometimes we don't only have one death, I think we can have birth and death constantly in cycles and life is cycles. And so this year, when I decided to slow down and really look at how far I've come since I created the altruistic traveler, you know, I would like to get to a point where I'm open enough to say, is this going to be me moving forward? And now that sustainable tourism has entered the mindset of more people, I think the pandemic really helped us to slow down and understand what kind of an impact tourism had and will and can make. Then I feel like maybe I could leave the stage for more up and coming content creators that have the energy to write blogs every week because I certainly don't. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And I do feel like the universe just used me to express the idea. You're like a vessel. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> a vessel to spread the idea. It's so funny. When I first wrote my 
like kind of memora in when I moved to the UK. I went to visit my favorite writer Emily Blunty in North Yorkshire. Then I stayed at the Airbnb, which was built in seventeenth century and only two minutes away from、uh, Blunty sisters' tomb. So when I was staying there, I feel like <laughs> it's so hard to explain. I was just writing nonstop about like thirty thousand words. I didn't even know how did I do that because this was raining all the time, and then I was just sitting in the house just. Writing nonstop. Then at the end of my trip, about four or five days, I noticed. Oh my god! I wrote thirty thousand words. That's unbelievable. Because <laughs> before, I always had the idea to write a book, but、uh, I never put it in to practice. That that was my first、uh, memoir in Chinese. Then during the lockdown, I was thinking, okay, maybe I should write something about my identity. I came across a Instagram writing challenge, like write your first book in thirty days. Then I just did it. I didn't even know how come、I、never wrote about English novel. Then I I could finish it in thirty days. Then self publish. I can't explain that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful story. I mean. I often want. First of all, thirty thousand words. Yes, please. I mean, it's taken me like almost, I think, over a month to write twenty thousand. But I think we just have this. We tap into these as creatives. We tap into this flow and tap into this energy that is boundless. I think. And when you told me that story about being in that house in the seventeenth century next to、um, Emily Blunt. So like that gave me goosebumps because it's like like what if we are able to tap into this otherworldly kind of energy of where we are and it just reminded me something as well. So one of the things that I usually do to measure how aligned I am is when I am more able to express myself creatively, and oftentimes I notice when I'm writing more poetry. Is when I feel I'm very much aligned. I, I've really started to enjoy poetry. The only other time that I that I wrote poetry was when I was volunteering in a、uh, remote region of Nepal for ten days, completely off the grid, in a community where I felt a hundred percent seen, a very spiritual community, and I was writing poetry there. And then all of a sudden, I I just lost that. Whether or not it just was because my my mind and my world filled with lots of different other distractions, but lately I've started to write poetry again, and here's the thing that just reminded me of what you were saying. So it's really flowing as well. It's strong when I'm here in Malta. So then my auntie says to me, "Can you please go and have a look into your family tree, into our family tree? My father's Maltese." I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll have a look into our family tree." So I went to the parish church because they have all the records of people that have got married, and she wanted me to particularly find out if my great great great、uh, great grandmother was the sister of the mother of a Maltese poet who wrote the Maltese national anthem.、Wow. His name is Duncan. 
So I go there last week and I go through the records and it's true. It turns out that I am related to the the National Poet of Malta who wrote the Maltese National Anthem and I sat in a park bench to call my auntie and there was a statue right behind me of a statue of him, Dun Kham. And I was just like, whoa, this can't be a coincidence that I'm here in Malta, my poetry is flowing and all of a sudden I find out I'm related to like one of the most if not the most famous poet in Malta. Wow, that's such a fascinating story. Yeah, you, sometimes those coincidences, you just uh, can't explain. Like the reason I went to Emily Blonte's place, because I met a girl. We were in London, High Park, almost at the same time, but we didn't know. We, we were like an online friend before, but we didn't know each other. We never met each other. And uh, I, I was just moved to London and uh, she, she lived in China and she just came to London to visit. On that day, we were at almost the same spot in High Park. And, uh, you know, in the summertime, there were some chairs you need to pay. Both of us didn't know that. Then we just take the chair, just relax without payment. Then when someone asked us to pay, we refused to pay because we thought that they were fraud. So we didn't pay. Then on the same day, we shared this story on Weibo, which is Chinese Twitter. Then we found, oh my God, we had the same experience <laughs> and same uh, funny stories that we shared on the same time, but without knowing each other, were already there. And uh, she told me, Emily Blount, the the Airbnb, she was been looking for for ages. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll I'll go there. That's how the story started. Then I went there, then wrote the book. It's just like everything is planned is already. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, let's just put all skepticism aside. There is this just beautiful magic that happens around us, and sometimes we. We're too focused on something else or what we have to do or where we have to be in 20 years' time from now, like to really just sit in stillness and notice how our lives are just comprised mm. of tiny magical synchronicities and serendipitous moments of if I didn't do this, then I wouldn't <laughs> be there, and if I didn't yeah. do that, then I wouldn't be there, and if I <laughs> didn't go to Portugal then I wouldn't have met you and if I didn't meet you I wouldn't have maybe thought about writing my book you know and it doesn't only go towards positive things like sometimes the quote-unquote negative things that happen in our life are also magical because they needed to happen in order for us to be who we are now and you know sometimes it's really hard to find compassion and gratitude for times in our lives that have been so immensely difficult but it is through those times that we really become who we're meant to be and I also really try to find a lot of gratitude for every single thing that has happened to me every single person that has come into my life every kind of experience that I have had because otherwise I wouldn't be exactly where I am right now and I love where I am right now. Yeah. 
like what Steve Jobs said, life is only make sense when you look back. You just can't explain everything, but when you look back, all the dots connected with each other. Exactly. I mean, if we we would just absolutely rack our brains if we spent all the time trying to explain in worldly words things that happen in other worldly work in other worldly situations. Sometimes. And I just that's why I kind of like the spiritual community um, because you know when we exchange these stories, it doesn't just get shrugged off as like, oh, that's a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, there are no such thing as coincidences. <laughs> that's so interesting because I remember when we first met each other, the, you mentioned you feel like you are Chinese in your previous life. I'm very curious to know this connection. <laughs> yes oh my gosh um so well this goes pretty deep so I I meditate a lot and I've started meditating many many years ago and when I remember once when I first started meditating would have been about 10 years ago I started to notice that I'm very sensitive to touch and I noticed that only sort of what I could explain at the time was just immense sort of tingly feelings in my hands and a lot of energy coming through me but I had no idea what it was so it completely freaked me out and I kind of just didn't even think about it until many years later and then I I started to understand a little bit more around ancient Chinese philosophies like talking about the chi and talking about energy and talking about um that we aren't only just this physical body, that there are actually layers of um, different types of energies. And so really ancient Chinese tradition and uh, philosophy was probably, you know, we talk about putting putting worldly words onto otherworldly things. It was one of the only sort of practices that I really felt could explain that I was actually somebody who was, uh, I think there's like a word for this as well in in the spiritual sense, like clairsentient or something like that. Because, and, and also I feel people that are quite empathic like myself, who are the ones that can oftentimes feel other people's emotions, you know, very tapped into their own emotions, you know, that is a clairsentiency. That is a another level of sense aside from the five senses and so yeah I guess I just really appreciated that there was this ancient knowledge around this and that it wasn't something new and uh, I was almost going to go to a Qigong uh, event not event uh, retreat in in China I think a couple of years before the pandemic but I definitely deeply admire the traditions and the knowledge in this culture and I admire that you were able to actually really read this uh, this knowledge and and find this knowledge and and really just bring it back into the modern world because I mean correct me if I'm wrong but a lot of it has been suppressed. Mm, true, I think it's a part of family tradition. So my grandparents they studied Yijing and Dao De Jing, those ancient books. So when Grow up, i very curious to know what they are doing, what they are reading. So my granddad, he practiced Qigong very often. 
But before I was thinking, "Ooh, he's such an old-fashioned guy and doing something." Ooh, ooh like <laughs> what is he doing? I don't believe chi or like vibes or aura, those kind of thing. Yeah, as you mentioned, we we are in on a journey to unlearn a lot of things society told us. Because I was already in embraced in that environment because、uh, I was so stupid back then, so I reject everything already in me. So it's such a painful thing, especially my granddad died、uh, when I was in university. But back then I was so stupid. I I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't、uh, want to like ask about、uh, everything he 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 wants to share. So. But、uh, I'm glad he he left some books for me to to read, but I didn't pick it up until maybe late twenties. I think it's a quite a emotional journey for me to deal with because I got the opportunity to learn from him, but I didn't. So it's quite sad, but also I also grateful. I realize now it's never too late. <laughs> maybe you know, maybe at the time. You just weren't ready. I mean, everything is. We、mm. could think about things as being in such divine timing. But if you'd like to share, you know, was there a turning point for you where you realized, okay, now I want to pick up these books and read them? Yeah, I think it's、um, started. All started with my body reminded me all those、uh, things I did wrong because when I was working for corporate, when I tried to control my life. And follow the traditional path, I got very sick, and also the panic attack. Then I start to meditate. I got the voice in my head, like remind me, you need to find the the real you inside you instead of everything you've already learned. You were being told who you should be. So I think yeah, meditation definitely helped me a lot to realize that. And also, I think with my and my knowledge base is increased, so I start to realize a lot of things. Why the ancient books can lasting for thousands years? There must be a reason. We shouldn't just、uh, treat them like、uh, old fashioned, or need to sometimes you need to go back to study the metaphors behind that. Even for Bibles and、uh, for Tao Te Ching, if you just、uh, read it literally, maybe you 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 can't get the the meaning, the true meaning. You need to like study deep. I kind of feel like a lot of things you can't just use words to describe, like what said in Tao Te Ching. Those who can express are not real Tao. You need to go deeper to feel. No, I completely understand. I think there's so much to be learned from ancient cultures. I just wanted to also talk to the fact that your that story you shared about you know your body speaking with you, the panic, you got sick. That is just the beauty of our bodies, just like connection to us. Like our body talks to us, and we can talk to our body. And I am so grateful as well for when I was in corporate and I was having those panic attacks. Like, anxiety doesn't just come out of nowhere. It is a sign of our body saying to us, almost screaming to us, saying, "Girl, you have to change something." But no, I I am such a 
I really, really believe so much in ancient traditions. I believe in ancient medicine. I believe in plant medicine. I think that we have gotten to this point now as a society where, you know, on the surface, we might think that we are more advanced because of technology and this, that and the other. But I think there is a spiritual poverty that can only be found by going back in these books that are thousands and thousands of years old uh, and tapping into some of this wisdom that sits beyond and that sits beyond the mind. Mm. So can you share some practical methods you on how to connect with yourself apart from the meditation? What else do you do? So meditation has been so probably one of the biggest ones. I think it's really allowed me to come back to center and I have various techniques. So one of the techniques which I shared in a recent, in the meditation that's on my, my a podcast, which is just kind of around connecting to the body. So I'll do the, I'll relax the whole body mm. by, it's not really so much a mantra, but it's really just tapping into each and every area. And eventually you come back into the body. Um, and then I have another meditation where I will well I, I actually do my own energy healing so I will allow myself to come to, into body to f- allow the energy or the chi to come and flow through my body and then I will direct the chi to different parts of my body where I feel that there is uh, any sort of blockages or trapped emotion and and because I've been practicing energy healing for quite some time, my the way that the energy flows through, I just have this immense trust that it's going to go where it needs to go. And it does. Sometimes I come out of my own energy healings with just feeling as though like I've just had a massage, but the massage is not on my physical body. It's on my ethereal body. And yes, it's so crazy to even just say that, like, because we don't see that, but that's what it is like. And it's again sort of that energy uh, that we were talking about that we the, the vibe if you want to call it like for example the way that the energy sits around our body and the way that we is the same way that the energy sits around others body and if if you use the example of when you're in when you're with somebody and they make you feel uncomfortable for whatever reason yes that where do you feel that it's not so much like in your mind you don't think they make you feel uncomfortable you feel they make you feel uncomfortable and where do you feel that you feel it in a part of your body perhaps your um your stomach which is also around your sacral uh and solar plexus chakra and I do believe in the chakra system I use that a lot and I I use that through my energy healing but that's a whole other conversation I just want to you know I really want to try and allow people to perceive and understand the way that our bodies aren't just physical and so yes one of the ways that I come back to presence is through uh just regular Mm -hmm. meditation and through um energy healing as well yeah I read you did the Vipassana retreat I did I'm going there in mid-April 
So I'm very curious to learn your journey and your experience. I read the two blog posts you shared on your blog. I was cried when I when I read you, you were just a few uncomfortable and you want to ex- escape. So, but I I do want to listen from you directly about your experience. Oh, thank you so much for reading that. Actually, when you mentioned about writing the thirty thousand words. That second blog post when I came out of the Vipassana, I wrote, I think it's about four and a half thousand words in two hours. Wow. I just sat at this cafe and it just flowed out of me. And it was just this absolute reflection of this week that I had had. Um, so thank you. I'm so glad that that was able to provide some guidance for you. So yeah, for those listening, Vipassana is a 10-day silent meditation, so there's no speaking, no reading, and really the the aim is to allow yourself to be in a present state for so long that you recognize impermanence and that you really notice that even though you do the same thing every day, not every day is the same. Uh So I went, I did this about, yeah, two years ago almost now, just before the pandemic, I was in Nepal Mm. and I was curious to do that because I just wanted stillness. I think I was craving stillness and I had been meditating for quite some time. So I thought, okay, this seems like a good next step. But to be honest, I didn't really do a lot of research into it, Mm. aside from asking a couple of travelers if they had done it. Some people had done it and said it was a really profound experience. I didn't really want to do a lot of research into it. So I went to the Dharma Center in Pokhara in Nepal. So the beautiful thing about Vipassana is that the uh, these retreats, most of them for the most part, don't cost you anything rather than a donation to the community because it, it's really this allowance of or this service to to others of allowing them to find peace and stillness it was a really interesting experience it was very I found it very challenging a lot of the people say that the most challenging part is sitting down I didn't find that for me the physical was fine a lot of other people say oh how can you not speak for 10 days but that was the easiest part for me I was like yes like (laughs) no phone no speaking it was the like that's that's the best right that was the best part even when I came out I didn't really want to speak to be honest yeah for me I think the most difficult part was this anticipation that I was feeling and really this is what this is what comes up in Vipassana because it 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 wants to make you feel uncomfortable it wants to make you feel uncomfortable so you can move through that discomfort and realize that all the discomfort is actually coming from your own perception of reality at the end of the day. Um, There was a lot of anticipation for me. So the first few days was relatively easy. Uh, The third day I had a lot of resistance. I felt like I wanted to go home and, you know, I just had to really sit with that. And then I ended up staying a bit longer, but then the resistance got pretty intense and um, it was, I had a huge aversion to just sitting there or being, it wasn't sitting there, it was being, it was like as if there was this inner child in me just screaming out, feeling that I was trapped, but I wasn't trapped. I was only trapped in my own mind. And every single person has such a different experience because I actually didn't make it the 10 days. I left after 
I think yeah, you read in my blog, I left after six days, but it was only me and one other girl that left. Everyone else stayed and I haven't really heard of a lot of people that, that do leave. A lot of people make it all the way to the end, you know, but but really I think the thing that I learned the most from that was just this this beautiful impermanence and knowing that no matter how difficult things get, you wake up the next morning and it's like you can just have a refresh. Um, and I also have used Vipassana practices to get into a very deep meditative state. So one of their practices is to concentrate on the area between uh, below your nostrils and your top lip and just concentrate on that area because to get into the meditative state, you need really a level of concentration. And sometimes that comes from some people use mantra you know, some people use beads, some people use music, uh, some people use different types of techniques, but it, there is a concentration to meditation, but it is in that concentration that you release yourself from thought and it is through the release of thought that you find peace. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to get the space as a new student for this uh, Vipassana. So I, I was trying to get it for half a year already, and finally I got it. Oh, wow. Where are you doing it? Uh, in England. Oh, and nice. When I was trying in New Zealand before, oh, it's so hard to get it because it's such a small country and they only have one center. But in England, they got a couple of different centers, but only accept old students. So it's so competitive to get the space. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I tried to get it in Australia and I couldn't get it. <laughs> I had to go all the way to <laughs> some remote village in Nepal. So if you're listening, there is a way. You just have to go to the far corners of the earth. <laughs> yeah. But once you're in, you're in, I think. Once you're in, you're an old student. So then you can... Then later yeah. on, if I find this uh, helpful, I'll continue. Yeah, I'm very interested in trying different methods. Because I started my meditation with a transcendental meditation. Basically, you got a mantra, then sit there 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the night. I found it's a very suitable for me because I, I can't stand the guided meditation. I don't know why. I just can't. When I do meditation, if people talking, I would feel a little bit, I don't know, impatience. No, I understand that. Meditation is also not one size fits all. I mean, even me, sometimes I go through phases where I, I want to have a guided one, but I sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes... I want music, sometimes I don't want music, you know, so really for people listening that haven't started their meditation journey and are thinking about it, it's a lot of trialing different things and what works for others doesn't work for others. And I think that's just with everything in life, isn't it? You know, we do, we have to remember that we are individuals and while we can be inspired by one another and, and you know, love one another, we're still on our own journey and that really can means that there are things that we might prefer that others don't and all those sorts of things. True. Have you tried the plant, plant medicine or plant retreat? Yes, I have. <laughs> are we going to go there? Gonna <laughs> yeah, go there? shall we? <laughs> all right. Well, um, I have. I mean, first of all, I just love, I will always now speak about psilocybin, ayahuasca, um all these modalities as plant medicine because I truly believe they are medicine 
I first uh, started experimented with psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, a couple of years ago. And the first few instances I did it, I did it with friends and, you know, it was just all about laughter and and trying to find the meaning of existence. Like, for example, in that um, cartoon on Netflix called Midnight Gospel. <laughs> That's every time I, I do magic mushrooms with friends, I'm always like, yeah, this is that. But then, I'm, then I was really wanting to use it as a medicine instead. And um, I had a couple of ceremonies with myself just alone really tapping into using it as as a modality to get deeper into meditation and one of the things I also wanted to quickly add before I forget about uh this comes in as well for you in your vipassana is intention when I did vipassana for the first time I I didn't realize the power of intention no one had sort of talked to me about it and it wasn't until I had my first ever um ayahuasca retreat that I realized the power of intention, which is really to have an intention every time you do something, whether or not it's going into a meditation, whether or not it's, you know, I mean, we have intention for things like if we're running a marathon, we have an intention. I intend to make it this five kilometers. When we access these parts of ourselves, the power of intention is absolutely immense. And so I had gone into my psilocybin uh, retreats and personal retreats with this intention, you know, allow me to hear and hear the messages that I need to hear, allow me to uncover what is causing me pain, allow me to see things in a new perspective, you know, so I would encourage you to go into your Vipassana with an intention. Um, And so these experiences I had with plant medicine were very profound very much as if I was having a conversation with my higher self, I tapped into an awareness, an emotional awareness that I cannot have, that I haven't. So actually I have been able to tap into my emotional awareness in this state without medicine, but it's also only been very intense states of meditation um, and also a, again, a chanting meditation as well that I, an example that you shared. But I just think that there is an a portal, if you will, that can open when we are using these plant medicines in a very intentional way. And for me, you know, psilocybin and ayahuasca have both provided a very safe spiritual place for dialogue between me and my higher self and they have always been very intentional um, and very sacred. I think in Western society and in this modern world, we have lost this connection to creating sacred space, creating sacred intentional space. And I think that's very important when it comes to even, even sometimes meditation. I think the setting and the space, we forget how important that can be. Mm, yeah. So I did my first um psychedelic retreat last year in Portugal because I got some issue, some emotional burden I can't handle myself. So I went there. I, I agree with the intention. It, it kind of guides you through the journey. It's to solve the problem you really want to solve and give you some insight. Like in the daily life, you probably want to realize that. I think so. And I think, you know, Pasha Mama 
the elements, earth, fire, water, air, they are there to help us. They are there to allow growth. They allow a flower to grow. You know, they they keep our world in motion. And so when we access that in a very authentic, intentional, loving way, why would those plant medicines not want to help us grow? Mm. I just think sometimes we, there are times where we think, oh, psychedelics, I'm going to get high, ha, 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 it's going to be so fun. Like, but yes, fair enough if that's what you like to do. But I think there is a very um, deep way of being able to just let, let Pachamama help us. Yeah, and you see the reality different after the psychedelic trip. I mean, although I realize I need to, because for the first two months after my psychedelic trip, I kind of like addicted to it, craving for what I seen during my trip. But after two months, I realized, yeah, I need to be grounded. I need to back to my reality. My friends, when they heard about my experience, they kind of, oh, uh, we, we, I want to try as well. But I, I remind them, like, kind of warn them, don't get addicted because uh, you, you still have uh, your reality to live on. You need to digest the experience, not do it too often if you, are, you, you don't have the, like, foundation to support you. Otherwise, it would be pretty bad for people if you are so addicted to that reality I think so and I think you know the medicine has higher knowledge than what we do if you're going to go and do psychedelic trips to try and find um, nirvana (laughs) (laughs) then it knows more than what you know I think And there's one thing as well is that the medicine doesn't only work at the time when we take it. It stays in our yeah. lives. It, it, as you said, it changes our perception. I mean, I've, I saw people in a retreat that were just immensely transformed, immensely healed. But actually the medicine, the, the work happens after the retreat. And I still am seeing the fruits of all that every single day. Uh, and I really just take that wisdom with me. And I, at the moment, I don't really have an intention to go back and to go that deep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do agree with what you say. I think it's something that we can't allow us to just want to use as a quick fix, like the same way that, you know, why we maybe drink so much or smoke or cigarettes so much, you know, nothing in life is a quick fix. We It's this journey of growth. It's this, you know, okay, I'll take that wisdom and I'll move forward and apply it into my daily life because really the medicine is us. We are the medicine. You know, we are the creators of our own story. We drive our own vessel. Yes, other things can influence us, but when But those things are really only just helping us to tap into ourselves on a soul level and realize how powerful we are when we move through life with truth and love and compassion and this just this love for the 
for everything to be the way that it is intended to be. Mm, well said. And the last topic I'd like to cover is about empathy. And that's um, as you you mentioned, you read a tweet that I contact you on Twitter that invite you for this podcast because I I was searching for some like how to cultivate empathy. That's how I found your blog. <laughs> then I start to read and listen to the meditation recording you did. Because the reason I'm searching about empathy, I I did a self-authoring program, which is Jordan B. Peterson. He launched right about your past and uh, understand yourself better. So I did the personality test on, on that program and showed me my empathy level is extremely low. <laughs> Yeah, to be honest, I'm a little bit worried because I know empathy is a very important part to myself and to the people around me. If I don't have empathy for myself or to others, I would be a terrible person. So I'd like to hear your definition about empathy and how to cultivate it. Oh, what a beautiful question. I mean, like, I think... Empathy is, it's natural. It's in all of us. For me, because I'm a Cancerian and just everything about my astrological makeup just screams caring about others. (laughs) But if I use the basic analogy, you know, between empathy and sympathy, you know, empathy is really just allowing yourself to step into the shoes of other people and understand what understand what it would be like to be in their world and so that level of understanding then brings it i guess perpetuates a closeness because you look at them as if you're looking at them in your own reflection and you realize that you know they are you in a way and you are them I mean just to, to say that you're lacking in empathy I, I wouldn't have noticed that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was surprised about this results because um yeah to me I I try to understand everybody's background and their motivation before judge them <laughs> so I, I still like need to work on the judgment part because so my mind is just so quick to come up with a judgment for the people, but uh, yeah, I'm yeah I'm very surprised by the results. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you brought up the judgment thing because I think we do carry that in the human condition. We see it come up in many. I mean, if we go full circle and talk about what we were talking about in the beginning of the conversation of why we feel uncomfortable to step into our wholeness. Mm-hmm it is fear of judgment. And, you know, if we really unravel where this judgment has come from in the human condition, maybe it was from many years ago in our genes around not wanting to be left out of the tribe. I think I heard this story around, well, in tribal days, uh, you were, if you were weak in society, or if you didn't conform with everybody else, you would be put 
to the back of the line and probably if you're at the back of the line you know what happens you get eaten by a tiger (laughs) so maybe in some weird way we all just don't want to go back to the back of the line you know and that's why when we're when we see somebody that's different from us where we automatically think okay well I'm going to judge them but you're right there is a correlation between like judgment and empathy and it's just this this stopping it and really just trying to look at everyone as if so there's this one thing that I think um Brene Brown said in one of her books was that everybody is doing the best they can and sometimes I really try and adopt this thinking when I'm confronted with someone who maybe does something to me or I can't understand somebody I really just try and remember that you know they are probably doing the best they can with what they've got, with what they've learned, with their own baggage. You know, the human experience is freaking hard for each and every one of us. Um, and we're all going through our own things. I think when you're able to to acknowledge that, that in itself perpetuates empathy because then you see them in wholeness. And don't we all just want to be seen in wholeness? Mm, yeah, because sometimes I feel like I know it, but in reality, I didn't put my knowledge into practice, which means I probably haven't fully understand yet. <laughs> I think you're also, you know, shedding your own ancestral habits as well. You know, let's not discount the fact that we carry thousands of years of this as well especially since the past thousands of years has been very patriarchal and very much around let's get to the top and this othering that now we move into more of a feminine era then we're naturally taking the time to release some of these habits that we've learned and you know, so I would just say to be kind with yourself there because there is a lot of unlearning to happen and it definitely doesn't happen overnight, as we know. True, true. Yeah, it's a journey. <laughs> yeah, exploring journey. <laughs> Maybe in another thousand years we'll all be running around hugging each other, not caring what color people's yeah. hair is. <laughs> okay, if people want to connect with you, where is the best uh, way for them to find you online? Oh, thank you. Well, yes, uh, my blog, The Altruistic Traveler, I've been a bit quiet on the blog this year because I've been focusing on the book. But you can find some of my personal stories there. You can find a lot of information about sustainable tourism. My podcast as well, interviews with a lot of influential change makers, mostly on, again, the concept of tourism and sustainability and social impact. I'm very active on Instagram, The Altruistic Traveler. I post a lot of my poetry on there and a lot of just, you know, more of a personal touch to the content. But I think once the book is is ready, I'll be publishing it through my channels around The Altruistic Traveler. And I'm going through a change myself. I think I see myself stepping more into uh, going more down the meditation, holistic healing path once my book is published and you know I don't know what's going to be next for the altruistic traveler but I think it's beautiful to allow ourselves to transform and be many different people in this one life I mean 
if we're lucky, we get so many years. Why do we always have to be the same person? I think sometimes it can be really beautiful to embrace change. So I'll be hoping to embrace that change. But my DMs are always open. And I'm so grateful for coming on the show today and getting really deep with you. Yeah, same. And uh, I can't wait to read your book. Once I finish it, let's have another chat, then share some uh, something, some learnings from your book. <laughs> yes, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you.